Enterprise Digital Podcast with Ian Aitchison and Barclay Ray, navigating the ever-expanding service management maze. Well, hello again. Welcome to another exciting episode, fulfilling, exciting, enervating, and positively life-affirming. Just enough about me, episode of the Enterprise Digital Podcast. Uh, I am Barclay Ray, and as ever, I am joined by the inscrutable Ian Aitchison. Hello, Barclay. I'm well, thank you. Nice to be here once again. Yeah, we're, we're back. We've been doing conferences and things. As is your want and as is traditional, you would generally start these things with, with some trivia. What, what, what have you brought to the party mm. today? Well, making sure we keep the tradition going, I have brought a little bit of uh, interesting trivia. Nothing medical or biological or unpleasant, as some of them have been. Yeah, sorry about those. This podcast, I just wanted to reflect on the fact that many of us have spent quite a lot of time on Zoom calls over the last 18 months with the pandemic and everybody working from home. We often talk about fatigue and spending a long time on Zoom calls. Well, today I read with interest that there is one Zoom call that has now been going on continually for 18 months, one, eight months, one Zoom call set up by someone with the interesting name of Cash Bunny. And Cash set up a Zoom call pretty much at the beginning of first kind of lockdown uh, called Edit Party and a community of creatives creatives are free to join anytime microphones are and you can join that call and it's going on right now. It's continually running and you can go in, you do your work, you have your camera on, you chat with people. It's just permanently there. The infinite Zoom call. I love that. Reminds me of some of the discussions about ITIL 4. But, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm inspired to join that call or not. I might, after this, I might just try it. Go in there and maybe cause some havoc. Does your um, information indicate anything about what the content or discussion is about or is it lots well, of people it's, just no, it's people working it's people all working getting on with their jobs mostly working from home and they all have their cameras on and they chat with each other and they have their microphones off and you can just join at any time you want a bit of company and you can see some other people and i think they share their screens a bit and share what sort of thing so it's a it's a real support community group it's also a zoom call that's been going on for 18 months who's paying for this and then what's the what's the you know carbon footprint of that? I'd be I'd be concerned. Questions, so many questions. Now yeah. is not the time to answer. Okay, me. well, just just to let you know, this particular podcast will not be going on. This episode will not be going on for eighteen months. Although hopefully we will be continuing for as long as. Let's get on to higher matters. Let's let's get on to the topic of the day and the conversation of the day and welcome our guest. Today, we have Ryan. We have Ryan Ogilvy. How are you doing? Doing great. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Why? Why are, you excited? <laughs> Why are you excited about that? Because it's not going to be, because it's not going to be an 18 month converse, conversation. <laughs> I feel like I've been on meetings online for 18 months. They may not all have been Zoom, but it just seems like a, an endless blend of online meetings. I miss people. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I have in the last few weeks had a few more actual, I mean, I had an actual client meeting a week or so back, which was a first for a long time. And it was bizarre because you kind of think, well, 
How do we do this? Anyway, I'm really glad that you're joining us today. For those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about the sort of things that you do and what you've done and how you've why you're excited about being on this podcast. That would be a good place to start. I know that you work on lots of projects and stuff and, and have done lots of different service management stuff, but give us a quick overview to get to get us going. So my, my background actually is is engineering. So I finished college when I was in high school, after high school, I did college. I took civil engineering and finished that. And then there was no work. And so I was like, what am I going to do? So I did like, I drove like garbage trucks and septic trucks and worked in warehouses and all kinds of stuff. And then there was like a surge in like technology requirements for jobs. Like they just had more jobs than they had people. And you could literally walk into a job if you had like some kind of, you know, college background. So a friend of mine was working at a technology company and said, hey, would you like to work in a service desk? I did that. And at that point, I found kind of like where my, I wanted to hang my hat, so to speak. So I really like the process work and working with, with clients and folks and people to make things work better and more seamless. And so that's kind of where I've been since about 2006. And so now I do that with other companies that go from, you know, contract to contract, working with groups to make sure that they can realize their potential, so to speak. So you've done lots of different Sounds types like of a... projects and, and, and in different environments. Sorry, Ian. Well, I was, I was basically saying the same thing, Barclay, as well. It sounds like you've had quite a diverse series of experiences across lots of different organisations. So you must be getting some great experience of how service management is shaping, out, shaping up in the real world inside IT and beyond, I guess. Yeah, so yeah, I've, I've had the good fortune of working with companies that have do everything from like oil services, communications company, agriculture, waste management, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I've got to see how they, they're they similar and they're also, you know, quite different. Interesting. You, nice. you mentioned garbage disposal in your introduction there and working for waste management. So I'm seeing a theme developing here already. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if we can continue sure. that one. We're glad sure. you're with us today. Thank you. Yep. Thanks very much for joining. Right. Today's conversation, I mean, based on the fact that you've got that breadth of experience, that's, that's, that's great. And, and working on, presumably when you work on different projects, different contracts, you're, you're kind of full on with that for months or even years. Or, is, that, is that correct? Yeah, it's usually anywhere from like six months to a year kind of time frame. It's usually how they, how they go. So really get chance to get, you know, hands dirty and in there and sort a few things out. We, as you know, we, we are enthralled on this on this podcast. We, we really are trying to explore how service management goes forward and how it rolls out beyond IT in, in most organizations. What have you found in, in, in the last few years on that? Are you, are you seeing more of that happening? Are you seeing the service management world expanding out into other parts of companies that you work for? Yeah, so one of the things I've noticed is that there's a lot of organizations that seem to find this as a tool-driven initiative. So rather than saying, you know, I need, ser- I need to provide service to someone, something, somehow, what they're saying is we have this tool. Shouldn't we use it to do that? And I'm always hesitant when I hear that because to me, a tool is like a hammer. You can give a hammer to a carpenter and they're going to build a fantastic house. So you give a 
hammer to me and eh, you might get something nice you might not and so it's you know because the way that the, the tool is used or wielded or whatever, however your vernacular goes, will be how the thing kind of plays out. So a lot of the companies I've worked with, I'm brought in strictly from an IT perspective, but then on the, I don't want to say on the fringes, but the HR departments, the finance departments, the other departments are like, we want to provide service. We want to you know, uh, improve the, the way that we deliver value to our customers. Can we leverage this? And the IT people are like, well, yeah, but this is an IT thing. It's like, well, no. But it's, it's getting them to kind of wrap their minds around that a little bit. And they're, they're always focused on that tool to do that. Interesting. So uh, you're seeing quite often where you're seeing, let's call it ESM or whatever, where you're seeing that happening, it's, it's because, hey, look at the tool we've got. Let's go talk to other parts of the business. Is that, is that what it's kind of like that. So we'll have someone from like, let's say, let's use HR as an example. Yeah. And HR will reach out and say, we'd like to use tool X do this process that we want to get going and, and they don't know what they want to call it, but let's, it's called ESM. Let's yeah. just, let's get that, get that right. And, and the unfortunate part is, is that the IT people say, well, this is an IT tool and we're using the IT tool to make it, make your service delivery, lack of a better word, an IT thing. And it, I always challenge that because that's not really what we're looking at here. It's just, the people and the powers that be will say, this is an IT thing. Like, well, let's make it an IT thing. And maybe it wasn't working particularly well as an IT thing with it's it's a service, it's a service thing. It's a, you know, whether you call it enterprise service management or whatever, it's that's what we're doing. So it's, it's interesting you started that description with HR coming to IT, because that's that seems to be quite a a rare situation. Most of the conversations we've been having have started from the leader often in IT, going to the business leadership and saying, hey, we should do this amazing thing, maybe because they've got a tool, maybe not. What you're describing there, Ryan, is someone in HR saying, hey, we want to work differently. Are you seeing that out there where the, the inspiration is being recognized elsewhere in the organization? A little bit. And the reason that happens typically is because platforms for, for you know, I won't say anything specifically, they have something that's visible. So in the in the I don't say in the before time, but when you would you would send an email in somewhere or you would send something in, no one was really aware that there was a system managing that. So with the invention of these, you know, portal type platforms, they now see that. They're like, well, you can submit things through here. And that's that's great. Like how do we did the same thing in HR, but right now they're emailing us. So how do we how do we leverage that? And that's usually how that description that discussion starts. In, before that, there was that never really happened because everyone was seamlessly working in yeah. the dark. Yeah, so they're seeing what's there and they're saying, "Oh, we want a piece of this. We want to. This looks good. We could turn this to our own use." Do you think there's any change in size and depth and complexity when you take these concepts out of the IT framework and you you take it into a business? There's a lot to IT service management, right? It's deep and wide. And Barclay could talk about it for weeks, if not months. In fact, 18 months, <laughs> I believe he has without, boom, I did it. But it, 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 does that apply? Does all that apply outside of IT? Therein lies the problem. So depending on who is promoting it, and like IT people, as far as I'm concerned, are some of the worst marketers ever. They will say, they will try to bend whatever HR is doing into the only way that they can describe ITSM. 
So we have incident, we have problem, we have change. Whatever you're doing in HR, they must apply to this somehow. So we're going to bend what you're doing, in and that's you know the wrong approach, in my from in my opinion. Um, there are plenty of things within these platforms that allow us to do HR workflows. However, the people that are depending on who's you know pushing or pulling the information will depend on how that gets managed. So, in some cases, whereas someone from HR says we want we want to have we want to create an employee service center where people can come in and they can request you know benefit things or whatever that might look like the platforms have something for, usually for this already built so if they have someone from IT that's pushing that they may may or may not get where they want to get and that's you know unfortunate but i think what the, the key is is to you know have conversations based on outputs like what you're really trying to feature yeah yeah that makes sense quick question on on how you pull it because there have been times over the years where I've, I've been involved in doing things like this which sort of mapping processes outside of it and and then seeing whether they can be delivered with these tools and so on and sometimes that's been great sometimes it's been terrible usually dependent on the, the sort of quality of the people doing it and their ability to capture that data and and get people on board at the same time i suppose the question would be what what have you picked up around that as to how, what's the best way to to really do that kind of discovery so that you can you know so on the one hand you're saying the expectations are badly set i think we'll need to reuse that when it people are some of the worst marketers have totally agree but that's not their job. You could say that they didn't go into IT to be marketers, even though you or I might say, well, they should be, but it's it's not generally what they are. But how do we, the bit that really interests me about this is is the bit that about how it's formed and where it starts and, and who owns it and how it's driven. Because once it's going, it's kind of going. But there's so many ways into this, either via IT or you know via the vendor and the platform, the vendors coming into organizations saying, you must do this boom, you know, across the, or as you said, people in the departments coming to IT and going, what do you think is the best way to get into this to really start to quantify what needs to be done? What have you seen that really works well with that? I think the key really is just to keep things as simple as possible. And the reason I say that is, is I find in some, in some instances, people have overcomplicated and even in, in the IT space, whichever space, it doesn't really matter. That one organization where they said, okay, look, this is our, this is our intake process. It was like the first week, here's our intake process. And like, like, let us know if you have any questions. And it was like a 26 slide deck with like about 3000 steps. And I was like, well, I didn't even like, what is this? Why, like, how do I even look at this? How do I read this? And they said, well, this is, you know, you want this and this is how you get it. I'm like, well, this, this seems insane to me. A kid down the street is selling lemonade. I'm thirsty. He sells a lemonade. He makes the lemonade. He pours it from the hose, whatever he puts in it. I don't even know. I just drink it. And away I go, I give him a, a quarter or whatever. It's, that's, that's it. I want something. He gives me something. I don't need the 26-page document for that to happen. And I think what happens sometimes is, and as a consultant, we're our own worst enemies here, is we'll, we'll also have there's too many people with their hands in the pot saying okay well we need to have someone figuring out this i mean you have someone figuring out that but in reality it's like what what do you want to get out of this whole exchange 
I want to provide uh, a benefits package to an employee. The employees want benefits. They need them. They want to be able to get them. Okay, so what is the minimum viable thing that we need to do to, to make that happen? And everything else just becomes like noise and waste as far as I'm concerned. There's, there may be instances where, yeah, that we have to ask other questions, but this, this and I use the, when I use the example of the, the kid doing the, the, the lemonade stand, my kids are the best, like the, the, they're the best at doing the five whys that anyone will ever be because when we're in the car and they'll, they'll, they'll say, we need to do something, they'll ask me a couple of questions, why, why, why? If I can't answer it, then it's too complicated. I find it interesting that sometimes we overcomplicate things to make things seem to work, but then when they don't work, we wonder why. It's because they're actually really just more complicated. Complex. Yeah, we, we've talked a few times about how some of the terminology outside of the IT context benefits from simplification. So um, incident or request, everything's a ticket. Right? Everything's just a ticket. Don't have a complex process. Just use a simple ticket as a way of tracking some work that needs to be done. And that's a big step forward. And even that with people being able to understand their queue of work and move work from one person to another and publish their department to the rest of the business, that's that's a big step forward for lots of departments still, isn't it, to be able to do that? It is. So like we had an example I can give is one place I was working with. They wanted to use the platform that everyone else was using, and they were using emails. So like, okay, so what is it? What is the minimum amount of things that you need to get to do your work to be compliant with whatever regulations you have? Because they had regulations, and let's say IT did, because the ticketing system shouldn't be the most work. Mm-hmm. Like you have a job to do, the ticketing system isn't it. Your job is to provide value by giving people benefits so that they can get healthcare. I mean, that's basically what we're looking for here. And so those are the kinds of things we need to, I think, focus on a little bit is when we're making things simple is that sometimes their email is the simplest thing. And I was like, do we really need this platform to do this? And it's like, well, maybe, maybe you do, and maybe you don't, but like where you need to identify is the value that you're getting is yeah, we're able to do our work. The simplest method to do that is through email, but can you report in your email? Can you show the value that you're getting and, and things like that from the email? And that's where these platforms kind of, they start to like squeeze businesses because uh, I mean, let's face it, these some, oh, some of them are like, uh, they'll squeeze you from like, hey, you should get more, buy more services from us and get more of your people in, in the platform because they, they, they can show and shine. They are marketers. They market how awesome something looks, whether it's going to be easy or not. And so I think that's the key is, is focusing on what's the minimum viable thing for you to do your work, be able to produce value and then illustrate the value that you're producing. Yeah, I'm still shuddering with the thought of dependency on email to that to that level. Is uh, I take your point. If it works, that's good. But oh boy, those those massive CC lists drive me nuts. So um, yeah, I think uh, uh, yeah. Do you remember Lotus yeah. Notes? People used to say, "Oh, we don't need a service management tool. We use Lotus Notes." And uh, you would always put your head in your hands and say, "Oh wow." Okay. I worked at a place like a couple of years ago, like like two, just before the pandemic, and they were using Lotus Notes. Still. Really? Wow! I was still. like, they're like, yeah, just just use Lo- just use Lotus Notes. I'm like, come on, no, 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 you're not. They're like, and then, and the IT person was like embarrassed. He's like, just don't tell anyone. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, hey, I'm not judging. <laughs> so just going on a little bit from that, in, in terms of what we 
again, again, this point about how we get into this stuff because it's not an, it's not a clear path. It's not a single path that, that in the way that we've been used to as an industry saying, well, there's a demand for IT service management functions and tools and stuff. So we build IT service management functions and we or services and we go to the IT service management people in that organization and sell it to them or or not. What we're saying now with this is that, that it's actually it's much more global, generic, you know, and, and potentially the the people who would actually kick it off or or want to do it or or not could be a whole number of different people in the organization. How, how do you think we how do you think we develop that so it's much more of a clear path? I mean, you know, where would this responsibility or should it be lying in terms of driving and owning this thing? And, and the reason I'm asking that is, is back to your point about IT people not being great marketers. We, the, the thing I would guess is that we've had this feedback a few times that actually these projects shouldn't be run by IT because although they use technology and so there'll be a IT would be involved in it, but actually they are business projects or the business functions. So it should be it should be driven more from a business requirement. We're kind of saying here that the requirement comes in different comes up in different ways. Is is there a is there a good narrative or story that we can that we can pick up that says, here's how we look at this and this is the best way an organization should approach this? And here are the two or three key stakeholders that we would expect to be involved. And they're not in IT. Um, what have What have you seen that would yeah. help you to sort of answer that? I think, from what I've seen in my experience, is that the challenges, the I guess the the convergence convergence of IT and business. So where you say you have some level of there's there's a partnership there, and they they work in a partnership those types of organizations would likely not have to focus on, well, we need something from IT, so let's tell IT what to do. IT will try and figure it out, and then they'll tell us what we need. The organizations that already have that relationship between the two of them, they would be best suited to just get this done without the, I don't want to say the us and them type situation where it's like an IT and a business thing, but, but it's almost like that. Most of the places that I've been, they're very far down that kind of um, gradient that they're, it's still very provider. Um, we're the IT department. We really won't, we'll tell you what, what we think you should use, but really we're waiting for you to tell us. And it's still, there's a lot of that. They haven't quite got to the level of, of where they're, they're a partnership yet. And so where that becomes difficult is that there's a need in a business. Let's say the HR department wants to do something and the IT department would be the provider for lack of a better word, but there's no kind of intermediary where there's like a business relationship manager or someone like that, that says, well, we're going to translate what we'll want into what you need and, and do that. So I think the, the organizations that are kind of, I want to say down the line a little bit that are lower in the maturity of that partnership, they're the ones that kind of need that, need that piece to kind of bridge the gap, so to speak. We're missing more content, more narrative that, that, really describes what ESM is and what the value is and how it works. Is, is, is that what we're saying? Would that help? I think it would help, but I don't think that IT is particularly good at knowing what the value is either. And in, in many cases, when you ask them like, what, like, okay, you've got a 26 page slide deck, like what is the value in this? And they, they, there's a lot of blinking eyes and like stares. They're like, <laughs> uh, 
well, yeah, you know, uh, we're the IT department. Like, yeah, you know, I get that, but why would I do this versus that? Like, what what makes this more valuable than this activity? And I think that there's still a lot of organizations that don't have value realization in the sense that they don't even they know that they're supposed to do something, so that's why they do it, but they don't really look at it from a value perspective. Unfortunately, like there's lots, there's some that do, but there's there's lots still that don't. They're just like we, we're just following orders here. Um, we're being kind of told to. Uh, now that this is, someone will throw in a, you know, a digital disruption statement or they'll use some catchphrase of something else. And like, yeah, someone just said AI ops. We better, now we gotta, we gotta figure out what that's all about. And that's, that's the value. That's what we're trying to achieve. It's like, well, sometimes these, these words, you know, muddy the water, so to speak. It does sound like a lot of what you're describing is saying for this to be successful, it probably shouldn't be starting and coming from IT, following their complex process or designing their next big complicated form. So to Barclay's point, I suppose, who is championing this in successful organizations? Have you seen situations where you can point to a a role or a function or even a personality that you've seen makes the difference? And you can't point to yourself and say, yes, it's me that's advertising um (laughs) is there something you in the the organizations you've helped where you go ah these guys it's going to work well here because they've got one of those or they've separated this role or they're thinking organizationally in this way i I think the key is is the i use the term loosely is the charismatic leader so so there's 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 some leader that's that gets it that that is and they may not be the leader they may be speak a leader, or they may not even be a leader at all, but they're they're the kind of the go-to person where, like, if you know Jane says we are we're we're totally buying in what Jane says. Jane knows their company, she knows the environment, she knows the business. She's telling us that this is like the way to go, and so we're going to kind of listen to what she has to say. So I think that that kind of you know, functions the right word exactly, but that kind of person, that that personality is, is something that in absence of a function that's that's facilitating that, that's what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Can I just take you a little bit back into IT for a minute? Because it occurred to me that you've made two points that are effectively saying the same thing. But when you say IT are not good at marketing and IT don't understand value, those, in effect, are the same thing. Mar- marketeers, they're there to identify value, aren't they? They're there to understand or to, to try and promote the value of a product so that it can be sold. They don't sell it, but they, they promote the value of it. Is that something that actually we're still not very good at doing even ourselves within IT about our own service management projects and, and our own ways of doing things? I, w- I would say that we are, and I'm guilty of, the, of it myself self in that if I'm on a contract, let's say for example, and, and the, the client says, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve. And I'll say that's okay. That's what we're trying to achieve. Now, whether that's the value or that's not, I'm now using that as the value. And that for you know that's you know shame on me for doing that for in some cases because it's that may not be the value. That just may be the value to me as the you know consultant that's trying to make a buck. I need to get you from A to B because that's what I'm being told to do. And, I, and I'm getting in that same kind of loop that IT mm. workers are. They're like, well, we don't know what value is because our bosses are telling us that we just need to make sure that we have uptime for whatever. Now, that whether that, and they're like, their perceived value is that 
our environments are up, you know, 99.99959 uptime. Hmm. Whether that's the real value statement, that's as far as they kind of go. I was going to say that's quite interesting. The five nines thing, you recognize the value of that when it goes away, though. And I know these days we talk an awful lot more about the the value of the outcome of the activity to measure the if you like the basics like things like uptime is a classic example i think that's largely because things like uptime are mostly these days up it's quite unusual for things to go down so we're able to think beyond that but when those vital business systems go down you really really start to care about uptime a great deal if people literally can't use the technology so as we move beyond that i think that's partly because we can rely on the technology if we reach that position where it ceases to be such a worry, such a concern. As you're saying, in the value is is not always understood until it's not there. And sometimes the value is just actually that it's there. Just sort of taking this to a conclusion, because I think, I mean, I'm quite interested in this idea that, you know, what our relationship should be with marketing or, or maybe communications, how, how good or not we are at actually making real sensible and valuable contact with other human beings, particularly as IT people and IT professionals. Um, do you think that we can rely more on additional types of technology or, or implementation? I mean, you were making the point earlier that it shouldn't just be driven by the technology. I get that, but there's a lot of things where, you know, it's about keeping up and it's about the opportunities that maybe we hadn't thought of through technology, AI, automation, blah, blah. Are we ready for that or should we still be thinking more about how we just do the simple, you know, back to your point about doing, keeping things simple. Should we be trying to reach out to this kind of nirvana of, of touching the stars when actually we're not very good at dealing with the stuff locally? And, and would that be a, a sensible focus for how we get better service management implementations? I would say, and you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said communication, that that to me is, it's a skill that needs to be exercised. Like you can't, you need to do it all the time to be good at it. Some people are, some people are fantastic communicators. Some people, um, you know, especially introverted type people are not particularly great at it. So they need to exercise those skills. I think if you have, if you're in a position where your organization fosters, you know, collaborative teamwork in the sense that I have, there's. I have a great idea for something we could do with HR or finance or whatever, but I'm not a marketer, but I have a great relationship with people that this is what they do for a living. There are marketing people in my organization. There are communications people in my organization, leveraging their skill set to help you bridge the gaps uh, where you, you know, maybe you don't have those kinds of skills. Just like they may not have those technology skills. That's, that's, that's the whole, the whole focus of these things, but what some companies do is they have these, they're, they're siloed out in such a way that it's, they make it, I won't say difficult to do that, but they're like, if you to get someone's time from communications, you have to, you know, basically raise, raise a, or some kind of request. And then you have to have a, a meeting and you have to have this and that, and the other thing before you can even speak to another human being. So where those areas are siloed, I think if you can have them, you know, that those silos broken down a bit so that you are able to collaboratively work to, you know, to an end that it's producing results that everybody wants anyways. I think an example of that, I mean, I, one that I've seen a few times of late, particularly it just happens to be in the 
university or higher education environment where actually the IT team or, or service management do have somebody that's in as a communicator, as an mar- internal marketer, you know, who, who does Twitter and, you know, pushes stuff out to the, the community in a, in a consumable, consumable way. And in fact, actually, usually it's somebody that maybe doesn't understand IT in great detail, but understands it enough to be correct in what they're saying, but also is actually very good at making that contact. And maybe that's what we're getting at ultimately with this is how we communicate with other people is is kind of the key to how well we're going to get things done. Okay, just 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 one final question. What's you know in terms of the actual kinds of work that you do? Are, I mean, are you are you involved in that? definition of communications or are you sort of hands-on in terms of building processes and tools and things the reason i asked the question is, is just simply what what would make that better you know is is that about having more good communicators around you or or people that you can link to or relate to or do you find yourself doing that as well well i find that i try to not do it because and by not doing it i mean not not me doing it. So when I'm working with an organization where they bring me in, they're like, typically what they're looking to do is we just want to, all we want to do is make incident management better. All we want to do is make change management better. Like, okay. And it's like, rarely that's like ever what, what's happening there. Um, hmm. they're like, or they'll say, look, we need our request for film. It's not great, but man, our change management is awesome. Um, our incident management's terrible. I'm like, eh, okay. And you'll go in there and what really needs to happen is there needs to be discussions with the larger audiences. Um, and so what I try to get them to do is like teach them to fish a little bit in the sense that let's find out from your stakeholders what the problems are. Um, I mean, I could do that and I could, I could make those adjustments within your practices, but the problem is, is that you're really not learning anything here. So we should, you know, we should do that as a concerted effort that, you as the provider type understand what the you know consumers are looking for so i try to get them to 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 do that piece themselves a little bit with with those particular uh, consumer types okay that's a good message it's about you know actually working together and collaborating to do you know building consensus and so on to uh, to really make it happen okay thank you for that uh, some actually quite like the uh, the fact that we've not really gone into too much detail about service management stuff we're talking about people and communication so um that's a good strong message thank you very much ryan no problem thanks for having me right so we've talked about people and communicating and how we get the best out of folks and so on so, Ian, it's now your your duty, not just your yes. responsibility yes. to discover, given that probably drink is the thing that loosens people up and gets them to, to talk and to communicate better. Communication has been a thing right from the beginning with the 18-month Zoom call, which I realise is, is almost as long as one of Barclay's questions on the podcast. So. Uh-huh. I need to connect that one up nicely as well. So, Ryan, look, you I know think- the form, you know. <laughs> when we finish a good discussion we like to retire to the bar and we do like our our guests to uh, recommend the the preferred recommended drink to the enterprise digital podcast audience what would you like to put on the bar for us equal opportunity consumer of alcohol because 
not all times required. There's different drinks for different times, I would say. And so like, you know, at, at this time, it's like it's 10 o'clock in the morning here for me. So I might have something with coffee and a little bit of something inside of it. And if it's in the evening, I might have something, which is my one of my favorite things is, is, as other folks have scotch. I like a nice Glenlivet, something 15 years old or more, maybe neat. I like that. However, like I, I think I saw Roy's podcast. He likes something a little smokier. He's more of a like a Vulin type. Yes, that's right. if he pour, if he pours one of those, I'm, I'm not going to say no. Um, again, I'm not uh, I'm not uh, adverse to having those kinds of things. It's interesting how the uh, the whiskey theme has been quite strong through this podcast series. I, at some point, I think I will do a chart. I will do a graph of all the different drink types so we can see which is the most popular one, because I love a bit of statistical trivia. But that's for another day, I think. Ryan, thank you. We'll make sure that drink goes on the bar. The other thing there is that it tends to be our North American friends who seem to be more keen on whiskey. Yes. Than, uh, <laughs> I mean, and I just, just bringing this into a bit of relevance, would that be whiskey that's made on your own land in Scotland, for example? It would probably not be, because I think the plot that I have is on the, what's on the West, and and I like more space side type whiskeys. Then that's more like, I guess, east, for lack of a better word. Central, it's central to east. Yeah, I'm with you. I I prefer space side myself. I'm not really a whiskey drinker, but some of the smoky ones just make me kind of go, um, <laughs> really get me get me going. Um, but yes, just to clarify that you are actually a Scottish laird, lord. What is that? that what's, yeah. what's all that about? So last, was it last, I think it was last Christmas, my mother-in-law had gotten me, there's this thing where you, you buy a, basically a plot of land. They have this land set aside. There's two, like, I think there's two in Scotland. There's one, I'd say it's north, just north of Glasgow. I think it's somewhere up there. I haven't, I haven't really looked. I can't remember. But if you buy this plot of land, then you can entitle your, you are entitled to a laird or lady title. And it's apparently like you could you could legitimately use this title. Uh, it's registered the land titles in, in Scotland, apparently. Yeah, that's it's a thing. So you are actually Lord Ogilvy, is that right? That is correct. I'm honored. Now I've and tried to get people to use this it. title. And yeah, well, I tried this at home, and, and the, my wife wasn't having it. Really? Uh, yeah, I know. Shock. <laughs> and uh, and I and I and I mentioned it to my. my my uh, the last the player that I just had, he's from he's from uh, like the south tip of England, like he's like from the like Dover area, like he's from down there, mm. and he said that there's like there's no way he is calling me that, like he's like forget it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, no one was having it. I, you know. I don't think you'd be allowed in the House of Lords either. So um, you know that you have to be appointed as opposed to just. Actually, no. There's a lot of stuff we people do just buy their way in by paying money to particular yeah, parties, true. but never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, as long as you don't buy up any of Glasgow, that's my home city, and uh, you're not you're not having your hands on any, any of that. Let's put it that way. Okay, <laughs> thanks very much. How, how do people get in touch with you? How how do they contact you? Best way is through Twitter or LinkedIn. That's usually the way, the best places for me to take a peek. And uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, thanks again for for joining us. We'll um, we'll get some whiskey on the bar. Some more whiskey. The bar will just be about to break from the the weight of whiskey. But thank you very much, Ryan. And uh, we'll speak to you sometime soon. Ian, thank you as ever. Great. Thank you, Ryan. It was a great session. Yeah. Thanks the, for having me. 
the Zoom call will continue for the next um, <laughs> eighteen months while I just while I describe all the elements of service management and, and ITIL in, in great deal. But I'll probably drop off after about ten minutes. So thanks very much. <laughs> See you all again on the Enterprise Digital Podcast. Thank you.